0: As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as we continue to work through this letter, we are in chapter 4, which we have noted as a turning point in this letter a turning point from this description of of who god is and what he has done for us in christ and and because of that work who we are what is our identity as individual believers and what is our identity as a congregation of believers because of our union with jesus christ and he has gone overboard to put on display before us this extravagant grace of God. Here in 4, he has turned the corner and is now calling us to become what he counts us to already be in his son. And so in these chapters, as we are looking at how we live out or how we embody This new identity that we have in Christ, Uh, Paul is unfolding for us these instructions that we are to embrace by faith and and, and out of a trust uh, of God in Christ and through an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we strive to embody, uh, to express um, all of these truths of who God is and what uh, he has done for sinners Uh, and what he will do for those who receive him by faith. We are going to uh, zero in this morning on uh, verses 7 through 12 here in chapter 4. This is part of a broader section that runs from uh, verse 7 through 16, but there is way too much here uh, to attempt to to touch all of it this morning. So Lord willing, we're going to take this morning, Um, and, and Lord willing, next Sunday to hit verses 7 through 16. Um, The title of the sermon this morning tells you what we're going to be talking about in these next two sermons. Heavenly gifts for ministry and for maturity. Heavenly gifts for uh, ministry and maturity. As we go to read the text this morning, I want to point out to you verse 8. If you note here in verse 8, there is uh, in your Bibles probably set apart this quotation. It is a quotation um, or it is a reference to, uh, to a passage in Psalm 68. So if you're wondering why we have done so much out of Psalm 68 this morning, it's because I've been setting you up, but setting you up in a good way. Ephesians 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 uh, so that we continue to maintain the context. Let's give our reverent attention to God's word. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Become what you are counted to be, is what Paul is saying there. With all humility and gentleness, with patience was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he uh, had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love let's pray our heavenly father your word as it has recorded for us What you revealed long ago is living and active. And you make your presence known to us through this living and active word. And so help us as we reflect upon this amazing history of redemption, of what you accomplished long ago and what you brought into fulfillment through Jesus Christ. That this word that was powerful in accomplishing these things would be at work within us, continuing to help us grow into that unity that we share in Christ with Father and with Spirit. And so bless us, we pray, through this word. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We have a shared life, a shared love, and a shared mission with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a participation in the life of the Trinity, in the love of the Trinity, and in the mission that the Trinity is accomplishing. And as Paul has been emphasizing to us here in chapter 4, This this participation uh, in the triune God is is to reveal that oneness, that that unity that exists within the Godhead. And that we are to give ourselves with every ounce of of energy to reflect, to cultivate, to pursue that oneness to, to cultivate and to pursue and to practice that unity. And yet, within this unity, a unity that Jesus has accomplished for us by defeating sin and death, by tearing down the wall of hostility that exists between God and sinners, and that wall of hostility that exists between sinners and sinners. That as Jesus has accomplished the gospel, he has torn down these walls, he has created peace, and he has drawn us into this participation of the union and communion of God. But even within all that oneness, And within all that unity, what Paul also emphasizes to us here, uh, beginning in verse 7, is that you, as a believer, do not lose your individual identity by becoming one with one another in Christ. That you, as an individual believer, still have your standing before God in Christ, And you have an individuality because what God is doing as he draws us into this shared participation, Paul notes, is that he is giving gifts and he does not give the exact same gifts to every single believer. And that is because, as the apostle emphasizes for us in this letter, the church is connected to Jesus Christ in this unique way in which Christ is the head and we are his body. There is a diversity that exists within your body. There is a diversity that exists within the church. And just as your body does not function correctly if you don't have all the parts and if those parts don't all work together, right? Just as that is true for you, as you have experienced when you've gotten sick or when you've gotten hurt, when a bone has been broken or you've had to have surgery, when things aren't working together and when everything's not there that is supposed to be there, that things don't go well. And the same thing is true for the local church. God is drawing a diversity of people into the unity that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now when we talk in theology, when we talk about studying the Trinity, most of the time if I say Trinity, you will think of the Trinity in terms of we have there's one God in three persons, and they all share equally, right, in glory and in honor. Uh, They are they all share the same essence, and that is absolutely true. But there is also an aspect of the Trinity that we call the economic Trinity, okay? And the economic Trinity, it looks at the work of the Trinity in the accomplishment of creation and redemption. And what you see throughout the scripture is that this one God who is equal in power and in glory that that share this one essence in the accomplishment of creation uh, and redemption, they, have, they play different roles. And the, the father uh, sends the son, and the son accomplishes what is needed for the people by, by living in perfect devotion to his father, in accomplishing and fulfilling the law of God. And then he goes as a sacrifice, that sacrifice without blemish. He goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for our sin and he's raised from the dead. And then he ascends back to the right hand of God where he is ruling and reigning from God's right hand. And then the father and the son, they send the spirit and the spirit, what he does is he takes the work of his father and he takes the work of the son and he takes that and he makes that work efficacious in you as an individual, and he makes that work efficacious within us as a congregation. They have these different roles in the accomplishment of this life, love, and mission of the Trinity. And we see that diversity, that same, a similar diversity within us as a local body. And so the Apostle Paul, as he has just really emphasized unity, where we are to manifest the unity accomplished by Christ and where we are to reflect the unity that exists within, within the Godhead, we also are to carry this out through the diversity of gifts that are to function together. So that rather than just being a group of individuals who come here on Sunday and each one tries to have his or her own individual experience of God in worship, we come together as individuals in order to have a corporate experience of God through worship. But where we all bring our individual gifts together. We saw some of that in terms of we have musicians up here and guess what? Not everyone that is in the congregation can be up here. I should not be up here during the singing. And that's why we try to make sure mics are cut off, right Jackson? Because not everyone has the same gift. And some are gifted to, to do the instrumentation, some are gifted to do the sing, you know, to help lead the singing. And some are gifted to to come and to serve in in a variety of different ways where every single one of you, because of the inherent value that you have as one redeemed in Jesus Christ, you have received a gift. And you have received that in order to use that gift in honoring the Lord and blessing one another. Now, there are other portions of of Paul's letters where he really unfolds some of the specific details of of what we often uh, and probably mistakenly refer to as the spiritual gifts. And you can see a list, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12. You can see a list in uh, Romans uh, 12, but also, I think, Romans 14. Um, There are these different lists that you can go to. If you notice here, though, in our text... Right after he says that there is grace given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Meaning, you don't all get the same thing, but everything that you do have is is a gift of grace from God. Right Now, he has laid this out, but what he does now in order to really drive home the significance of what it means to have been graced with gifts from the ascended Christ, what he does is he borrows or he takes the argument of Psalm 68 and he uses that to help us understand the gravity and the significance of what he's about to say to us about the gifting that comes from God. Psalm sixty-eight, and 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 and, and you are going to have to bear with me here, because sometimes when I get real excited, I can just kind of go off. Um, at the beginning of the week, I had decided I was not going to talk about Psalm sixty-eight at all, and I had written a completely different sermon, a completely different service. But then. I just couldn't get over the excitement. So we're going to delve into Psalm 68 here to help us really grasp the significance of what it means for us to say that we have received gifts from God that are to be used for ministry. And notice here, for as we read through the text, we are to use these gifts for ministry. We are to use them For maturity. But let's delve into this. Psalm 68, as we have already talked about a little bit here this morning, Psalm 68 is this presentation of Yahweh. Yahweh, the God who came to his people and who brought them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, who safely carried them through the desert, who safely protected them. From, from Egypt and from the, the, army, the armies that were set against them, who provided them safety and provision in the midst of a desert, and who provided them the treasures of Egypt, which they themselves had not earned and had not won. But God came to his people. He provided them the treasures of Egypt, And they left and they went into the harshest of environments and God safely took them through all of that, taking them through the the splitting of the Red Sea and bringing them into the safe dwelling of Mount Sinai. Now I say safe there almost tongue in cheek because it was also an incredibly dangerous setting. And do you know why? Because God was there. And you see God as God had manifested himself in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He now manifests himself in this glory cloud that envelops Mount Sinai. And the warning is, don't touch this mountain. It is holy. Mount Sinai has become a temple on earth. For the dwelling of God. And, and as such, the people of God who, who are sinful cannot even touch the mountain for fear of death. And what the Lord does is He gives His law, He consecrates them as this new nation, and then He renews to them His covenant promise that He is going to bring them into a land, a promised land that they will not achieve for themselves, He will achieve for them. All they have to do is trust and follow. And what he will do is he will feed them. What he will do is he will fight for them. And he is going to bring them to the land. Now, within Psalm 68, what you see here is this amazing presentation that as God descends to be with his people in Egypt in order to take them to Mount Sinai where once again he descends in this special presentation of himself in the glory cloud and as he goes with his people into the promised land he does provide them everything that they need but in addition he has provided them treasures. And the treasures of Egypt, as they continue to go, as they defeat one enemy after another, he continues to provide them the, the tribute that a victorious king wins. And in Psalm 68, the picture is the God who has descended to take his people through all of this will then ascend this special and what we, what we believe to be true is the way that Psalm 68 uh, was originally intended and the way that it was used liturgically is in the life of Israel, once um, Jerusalem became set as the capital, and then once the, the, the house of God was determined to, to be set upon Mount Zion, uh, uh, Mount Zion there in Jerusalem, there is a time in which the Ark of the Covenant, was, was brought to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on a mountain. That is why it doesn't matter which geographical direction someone uh, goes to Jerusalem. They are always described as going up to Jerusalem. It's not just that the god fears in Israel were Southerners. Okay? Everyone, whether you approach from the north, the south, east, or the west, you go up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became that special mountain that God, once again, he put his special dwelling, his his tabernacle and then his temple there upon that mountain as the Ark of the Covenant was brought up the mountain and set into that place of worship. This is what's being described in Psalm 68. The God who came near, the God who came down, the God who who went with his people through the desert, the, the one who accomplished all these things and then ascended. And what Psalm 68 does is it describes God giving gifts to his people, and then once he ascends, he becomes finally recognized for who he is, and then God himself receives gifts back. From men. The reason I'm saying that and pointing this out is because if you read uh, Ephesians 4, verse 8, most of you in your English translations have quotation marks around verse 8. Paul is not quoting Psalm 68. Because if you look in Psalm 68, as we read earlier, it says that that when he ascended on high, he receives gifts. But earlier within that section that we read as part of our call to confession, it's very clear that God, as he is winning victories, he is the one who gives gifts to his people what paul is doing here oh. is not quoting psalm 68 all right and I'm, I'm saying this because some of you will read this later and go what hold up it's, It doesn't say the same thing you're right it doesn't say the exact same thing in terms of a quotation but what paul has done is he has accurately summarized that whole middle section of psalm 68 the god who comes near the god who comes down He wins these victories and he shares the spoils of his victories with his people. And all of this leading to this triumphant ascension where God in his victory will now be recognized and he will receive gifts from men. The Apostle Paul is using this here in Ephesians chapter 4 to, to, to press upon us the significance of what it means for you to be God's people who have the champion Jesus Christ, which has achieved the victory that is needed and the way that Jesus Christ shares the spoils of his victories with you. This gifting that he shares with you this gifting that he provides which which in other places where he gets into the significance of the details the significance of that is what you are receiving from christ is nothing less than a heavenly gift and i think paul has already addressed that hasn't has he not back in chapter one verse three which i say every sunday that in Christ you have already been blessed with all of the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. You have this heavenly gifting from the victorious Christ who came to earth, who took on flesh, and as he kept the law of his father, as he was perfectly devoted, he went through the business of overcoming sin through his obedience and his righteousness, and then he finally overcame sin and death as he was crucified and as he was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is the fullest expression of the God who comes near, the God who comes down, the God who ascends, having achieved victory for his people. Jesus is that, that ultimate fulfillment that is pictured in Yahweh in Psalm 68. And what this means for you, beloved, and what it means for me, is that Christ, as the one who has accomplished all of this and who has ascended back to the right hand of God, who has been established as the king and as the head, What he does as as an exalted king is he does not leave us on his own, or on our own, but instead he connects us to himself through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then he blesses us with the realities of the heavenly places so that we can serve as a picture of the heavenly realities here on earth. Your gifting for ministry is not a gifting that is there for you to make a name for yourself. Your gifting is not there for you to get acknowledgement within the church or acknowledgement from outside of the church. Your gifting is not there in order for you to to simply be engaged in something that is for you. Your gifting is that you have been perfumed with the reality of the heavenly places in order for you to spread the bouquet of the heavenly places in every aspect of your life. That is a heavenly gifting that is not meant for your glory, it is meant for his. But, here in Ephesians 4, Paul does not address specifically your individual gifts. He says you have them, but in the rest of this chapter, he doesn't talk about them. Instead, he talks about a different set of gifts because notice here that in verse 11, we have the details of what gifts um, Paul is talking about here. And the gifts that Paul is talking about, that the descended, ascended one has shared with his people, are the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. The gifts that he's talking about here are are not your individual gifts as believers, although Paul is, is trying to help you understand those things. What Paul here talks about in terms of specific gifts is the gift of the full and complete ministry of the word of God for you so that you can exercise your gifts well. So he says that every one of you have these these gifts of grace that come from the ascended Christ, and yet... There there are also gifts that are given not just to you as an individual, but there are gifts given to you as the body of Christ. Because what you and I need in order to use these gifts well is we need to be led by Christ. And what Christ does is he fills us with his spirit and, and he takes the and the spirit takes the word of christ and and makes it real to us and the way that god for some reason has chosen to accomplish these things is through the frailty of men like me men like your elders men like your deacons god has not just given us gifts as individuals for us to just kind of Use. he also gifts you as a congregation with some order with some direction so that all these individual gifts which are an expression of your individuality in christ can be pulled together to become a symphony of service before the lord and so gifts that he gives here are this are these these offices of the church but it's if you notice here they are offices that all have to do with one thing and that is the ministry of God's word as as protestants as reformed presbyterians we believe in apostolic succession You don't have to be a Roman Catholic to believe in apostolic succession. But if you believe in apostolic succession as a Roman Catholic, you get the wrong succession. Because the apostolic succession that the church is built upon are not individual men serving as some kind of little little Jesus in terms of the Pope the apostolic succession that the church is built upon is the truth of Christ revealed through the apostles, recorded through the ministry of the apostles so that the church would have the truth throughout the ages. And so... One of the responsibilities of the elders of this church is to make sure that everything that we believe and the way that we are going about living out our beliefs is in accordance with God's truth as it has been recorded through history, come to fulfillment in Christ, and recorded for us through the ministry of the apostles. We are not free. And it is not safe to promote ideas and practices that are inconsistent with the apostolic tradition. As Jude says, we are to to protect and to profess the the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. Who delivered that? Christ, through his Spirit, through the apostles so when we see here the that even now there that there's a gift for us as a local church that is a gift of apostolic ministry it is the ongoing apostolic ministry of the word of god as the basis as the foundation as the center and as the completeness of who we are trying to be as god's people notice also it's not just the gift of apostles it is the gift of prophets prophecy so oftentimes in our day and age thanks to dispensationalism has often been focused on this idea of foretelling the future and there is there is certainly a dynamic to prophecy in which the foretelling of future is part of prophecy But the overwhelming thrust of prophecy throughout the scripture is that the prophets were what we call covenant lawyers. The prophets had in the office of prophet, their calling was to receive from God what the the message that God wanted his people to hear with regards to how they were doing on their side of the covenant and what God was doing on his. The covenant people had this blessing and they had this calling to devote themselves to the Lord and to continue to receive his blessings and to be a people who embody the law by by striving to keep the law by using the, the sacrificial system for worship because they couldn't keep the law and they needed uh, to have that, that forgiveness and that they needed to put on display the grace that they needed for themselves. But also they were to be a people in which the nations would see the true God. They would see the truth of who he is and what he requires and they would see the truth of his grace and his provision. But throughout the Old Testament, as we read, what we find is that the people of God do not live according to these covenant blessings and these covenant responsibilities. And so what happens as after generation, after generation, after generation, where God had sent a prophet here and a prophet there, then we come to, the, to what we would consider the end of the, the existence of the northern ten tribes. And we come toward the end of the existence of the southern two tribes. And God sends these prophets and says, look, You're supposed to be devoted, but instead you're idolatrous. You're supposed to magnify my grace and my provision. Instead, you you are bringing upon yourself my obligation to the covenant, which is not to bless, but it's going to be to curse. And the role of the prophets was to remind the people of God their blessings, their provisions, but also their responsibility and their calling and they were to do this in such a way as to promote the grace of god to promote to the people of god remember how he freed you from bondage and slavery in egypt and he made you his own and all these things were counted in psalm 68 of what he did for you this was to motivate them to respond with thanksgiving and with devotion and the promise of god was if you continue uh, to live in, in, in a devotion that was not perfect, but a devotion in which you have no other lovers but me. You utilize the means of grace that I have for you. If you do this, you receive blessing. If you don't, I'm going to have to kick you out of the land. The role of the prophet was more primarily a role of telling. And the foretelling aspect came from what God said uh, with regards to, if you don't repent, here's what I'll do. The role of prophet still exists even now today as as ministers and as elders reminds you of who you are and the amazing privilege of being part of God's people but also the devotion and the gratitude you are to express to God as as you worship him, uh, both here corporately, as you worship him throughout the week in a life that is lived uh, in, in the enjoyment of God and drawing other people's attention to the God of grace and to the God of love. We have this special privilege, and guess what? None of us, including me, perfectly do this, and so every one of us is in constant need of being reminded of how awesome it is to be part of the people of God, the extravagant extravagant grace of God that defines you as his people, but also your need to live in devotion to him. Not just receiving his grace and going about your way however you want. Receiving his grace and living a life of gratitude and devotion, and obedience. And there is prophecy that takes place as the covenant foretelling of what God has done and, and who you are in Jesus Christ and your need for ongoing, consistent repentance and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the apostles the implications of that for you of the prophets. And there are evangelists, those who have a gifting from the Lord to lead the church in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are outside these walls. A gifting in which the the, the telling of who Christ is is focused in on those who are not already part of the church. And it is focused on these people Because they need the grace of God in Christ in order for them to be drawn into the covenant people and to receive the blessings of Christ and and to become part of that shared life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lastly, there is this role of shepherd teacher or shepherd pastor or pastor in general or elder, however you want to put it. But there is a role of the ministry of the word of God for you as God's people with regards to direction, with regards to leadership, but also with regards to comfort, also with regards to to presence, also with regards to the daily struggles that come with being a heavenly people who are still in a wilderness wandering looking for the fullness of what we've been given in Christ to actually come. And God doesn't leave you to yourself to try to walk that path. The God who walks with you manifests himself through the men that serve as elders so that the God who is with you, you can see a tangible expression of his presence. You can hear the the, the encouragement from God as an elder opens up the word to you to remind you of who you are and, and, and how you are to walk as one who is raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You can see, you can hear Because God wants you to be encouraged. He wants your trust to grow so that you will participate in mission greater and greater and greater. Because the temptation is, beloved, as we wait, the temptation of the Old Testament people is the same temptation that you and I have. And that as we are waiting for the fullness of God's promises to be brought into fulfillment, the temptation is to start taking on the cares and the concerns and the values of the cultures that we are living in. And the irony is those cultures start to impress themselves upon us rather than us sharing with them. There is no neutrality. And that is why Paul tells us, don't be conformed to the image of this world. You need to be transformed in the way that you see everything. And what Paul wants you to see here in Ephesians 4 is that the triumphant Christ, who is ascended to the right hand of the Father, who is exercising his role in patience, in humility, in gentleness right now that he gifts us everything that we need from the heavenly places to embody that to this world beloved you have received gifts this congregation has received gifts god is with us his presence being made known to us through the full-orbed ministry of his word, as the apostolic faith, as the prophetic reminders, as as the shepherding care, and as the evangelistic declarations to those who need grace are made, we are able to take all of the individual gifts here and plug them in to the accomplishment of that greater ministry of God's word. Is that how you view your gift? Do you think about your gift? Do you you focus on that as an expression of, of a heavenly reality? And do you see and pursue that utilizing that gift for the good of those who are within these walls and for the blessing of those who are outside of these walls as you participate in that ministry of the word of God, both inside and out. Beloved, there are flags hanging from the ceiling, unless we took them down. There are flags hanging from the ceiling, flags representing The nations. Because as participants in the one life, love, and mission of the triune God, he, through us, is making his word known to those from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Pray. Pray for the the ESL ministry that we have begun. Pray that as we have the privilege of taking the word to the nations because the nations have come here. Pray that the Lord would bring people. Pray for the faithfulness of those who are leading and participating and pray that the Lord would make efficacious through his spirit, working through the gifting of his church. Would help people not only learn English better, but through this that they would come to know the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Psalms like Psalm 68 are sometimes difficult for us to to weed through the details and to, to fully embrace and to be impacted by the beauty and the glory that is, that is communicated there. And so help us today. Help us to zero in on the, on the ministry of Jesus Christ as it is the fulfillment of that psalm. And as our risen king and as our ascended Lord, we are not cut off from him but he has filled us with his spirit and he is filling us with his gifts. Lord, help us not to be afraid to to celebrate you as a God who loves to give gifts to his people. Help us not to think that true devotion uh, is carried out only in a sense of, of duty before you. But instead, Lord, that the duty that you ask of us as your people is to celebrate your gifts and through them to celebrate you as the giver. Lord, convince us that that is the power by which we manifest the union and communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that that is the power by which we make you known throughout this world. Bless us, we pray, for we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.